Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 3rd, and our chapter for today is Matthew chapter 27. Well, Jesus has now faced a mock trial at the house of Caiaphas. He has spent the night in a dungeon, in a pit. If you want to read something of the anguish of his soul during this time, read Psalm 88. Psalm 88. I believe that this psalm was a messianic psalm written to express the heart of the Son of God while he began to experience the pain of abandonment. Abandonment from his disciples all fled. Abandonment from the denial of Peter, his trusted disciple and a leader of the band. Of all of the disciples, it was Peter that stood and said, I will not forsake you. And yet, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that when he was denying Jesus for the third time, Jesus turned and looked at him. And when he saw that look of hurt, love, Then he went out and wept bitterly. Now we come to chapter 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people, the leaders, plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, this is very important because Pontius Pilate did not live in Jerusalem. As many of you already know, and you've heard me say, Pontius Pilate lived in Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the sea. Caesarea was built by Herod the Great, and that was the place where he lived. And it was a magnificent city. And it was built from a a village that was there before, a fishing village that he commandeered and built a beautiful harbor there. For those of you who have been with me or been on an Israel trip, you know that this is one of the places you go because this is where the gospel was first preached to the Gentiles when a Roman centurion named Cornelius, a God follower, a God fearer, was good to the Jews. And because he was good to the Jews and because of his prayers to God, that was the means that God used to send for Peter. And an angel was sent and said, you're going to be the first. And indeed, the gospel was open to the Gentile world at Caesarea. Now, that's where Pontius Pilate lived. He was the Roman governor, and now he was going up to Jerusalem. Why would he come 70 miles trekking uphill to go to Jerusalem? Because it was Passover. And if the Jews, who were a rebellious people against Rome, if they were going to rebel, it would be during these days of the Passover. 
And uh, during these days, the Roman procurator wanted to make sure that he held his soldiers accountable and that he himself had all of his faculties together at the right place at the right time. After all, if there was a rebellion against Rome and he had been lounging along the Mediterranean instead of knowing that uh, Passover was a time of great fervency among the Jewish people to be free, the longing in their heart to be free. And let me just say parenthetically, there is a desire in every man's heart to live a free life. As a matter of fact, during the millennium, even under King Jesus, the Messiah, every man will sit under his own vine. Every man will sit under his own fig tree. That means there's going to be a desire for a man to have what is his, that he can say, this is mine, this is my stewardship, this is what I'm accountable to God for. And after all, that's the longing in the human heart. And so there was a longing in the Jew's heart to be free from the bondage of, of Rome and to throw off their yoke. And if that ever was going to happen, it was going to be during the days of the Passover when Jews from around the world swelled the city of Jerusalem to over a million people. And so this is what was taking place. And so Pilate would have come up. Now, between the opening of chapter 27 and the first two verses, and Jesus facing Pilate in verse 11, We have the horrible story of Judas, who now is in remorse and regret. He realizes what he's done, and he wants to throw the silver back in the face of the high priest that he had betrayed Jesus to, but they were having nothing of it because, you see, he was nothing more than a pawn. They didn't care for his life. They never do. And so he went out and hung himself, and the scribes and Pharisees and the chief priest went and bought a field because this was blood money. They didn't have ethics enough to keep from having Jesus in a trial that was a mockery, but they had their ethics that they did not want to spend money that was had been given for betrayal and to betray a man's innocent blood. So they bought a field and it became the potter's field. And it was the field of blood to this day. And it is called that there outside of Jerusalem. But now in verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, that's what you say. It is as you say. In other words, of course I am. Yes, I am. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the soldiers, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered not one word so that the governor marveled. Greatly. He was amazed at the composure and the poise of Jesus. And so during this, the background story is that Pilate thought, okay, I can get out of this. I'll bring up a um, prisoner that I know is hated and the Jews hate him. The Romans hate him. His name was Barabbas. And he brought him before the people. And the scripture says that the Jewish leaders chose a known criminal over Jesus, the son of God. And that story is recorded down through verse 26. And then we have the story of the soldiers of the governor taking Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Well, then they twisted a crown 
crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, said, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, and they took a reed and struck him on the head. Then they mocked him, and they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And that was only after the scourging. Now, of course, as we go into the other Gospels, we'll learn more of the details. But let me just tell you now about what was happening in verses 27 through 31. This was not anything new. That is what they were doing to Jesus. This is called the game of the king. Now, for those of you who have traveled with me to Israel and those of you who perhaps have not traveled with me, but you've gone there, your guide has probably pointed out, if you've gone into the area of the Praetorium, you've gone into the what was the Antonio Fortress you have seen in the basement of the Sisters of Zion convent. And you go into their basement where the Struthian pools were, at least part of them. And you might have seen those underneath. But more than likely, you were led to a place that had huge Roman flagstones that date back 2,000 years. Of course, it's all underground because everything during the days of Jesus has been built over and built over and built over. So it's all underground. And so it is there that you see etched on these great flagstones, some of them 24 by 24 inches, large stones, sometimes larger than that even, you have etched the game of the king. Now, this was a dice game, and it had various pictures and uh, images and letters, and uh, a person would throw a die it would land on one of these squares. And if it landed on this square, they got to crown the prisoner that they would mock as a king. And these were all high value political prisoners who had rebelled against Rome. And so they would mock them. It was called the game of the king. It was not just played with Jesus. It was played with other high level, high value uh, prisoners. But this was different than any other because this was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so they crowned him with thorns. Another one would throw a dice and it would uh, allow him to put a reed, a scepter in his hand, a mock scepter. Another would allow him to be clothed. Another would allow him to do this or that. And then those same soldiers would then roll the dice and one would get to hit him, one would get to pull out beard, one would get to spit on him, one would get to take the scepter, the cane that they gave him as a scepter and would begin to beat on his head. In other words, it was a cruel game that they played with Jesus. Let me say parenthetically, when Jesus comes again, he's not playing games and he will not be the object of games. He is coming and not to take sides, he's coming to take over. And when he comes again, he will rule the earth with a rod of iron. That's what the Bible says. And so after they had done all of this, they began to lead him out after they had scourged him, after they had flogged him with a cat of nine tails to the point to where they beat him within a millimeter of his life. These skilled flog masters would be able to be so skilled at this uh, flogging that they could uh, tear chunks of meat. This is why Isaiah said that his visage was marred. That is, his looks were so out of the ordinary by his beating and what had happened to him in Isaiah 53 that we couldn't even recognize him as a man. He was just like a piece of meat. Now, I don't want to be overly graphic, but I'm telling you, 
we get the idea that he was just getting whipped like some Roman whip or like some Western where someone's being whipped with a bull whip. No, this was, he was beaten to within an inch of his life, within a millimeter of his life. He was like a piece of meat. He was cut and bruised and battered at every level. And all of this, remember, he didn't do for his own sin. He did it for ours. He was not guilty. We are. He died for us. And he was beaten for us. He was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement, the discipline of our sin was upon him. And by those stripes, we are healed. And so he carried his cross out to the place called Calvaria. And Latin Calvaria means skull. It was skull hill. It looked like a skull. In Hebrew, it is Golgotha, Aramaic Golgotha. And it's the place of the skull. And Pontius Pilate, trying to solace his conscience, put a plaque above it that said, this is king of the Jews. Now, those that wanted Jesus out of the way said, hey, don't do that. Don't say this is the king of the Jews definitively, but rather say he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate said, I've put it on there and that's what it's going to be. And Jesus dies on the cross in this chapter His body is put into a tomb. We'll talk more about that in a future podcast. But I want to say just a word here before I end because time is getting away. When we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, I want you to understand what is the euangelion, the good news. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again from the dead. The gospel, the good news is not, hear me, please, please. The gospel is not that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's not the gospel. That doesn't tell the story. It's not that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's not the good news. The good news is that he died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. If you do not add the substitutionary element of his death on the cross, then you've missed the point of the cross. Jesus died as our substitute. And that is the heartbeat. That is what changes a life. When you receive his death as your own, when you believe that he paid the penalty for you and you commit your life to him, that's a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. That's the only way that a man can be right with God is by repenting of his sins, changing his attitude about Jesus, what he did for him, and our own self-righteousness and clinging to the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.